0: sit comfortably. Good morning, everyone. So I theme we've been touching on to be a non-self, uh, an open and spacious response to life. Let's look at that a little bit more specifically in terms of how that plays itself out in human relationships or which is usually the area that gives us the most problems in our life, isn't it? Yeah. And when you reflect on it, as a, as a species, we're very human-centric, aren't we? Like, we, we spend most of our time being with other people, relating to other people, or if we're alone, we're reading things which are about something that another human being created, or, watching something or thinking about what they think about us or whatever. but we're very human-centric and uh, and uh, it's important I think in our lives that we, we realize that um, human beings aren't necessarily the center of the universe right there's a, there's a large world out there of nature, different species and things, stars, moon, you know mountains it's not just all about human beings. But nevertheless, um, human beings are family oriented tribal. You know, we we need one another. We need each other to survive. And so our relationships with one another are very important. And if we're maturing in our Zen practice and in our meditation practice, one litmus test, in a sense, is to how it's all going is how are we more mature in our relationships, right? That's That's one of the ways we can see that it follows through. And um, are we being a more open, spacious response in our relationships, not just intimate relationships, but people you meet publicly, people you work with, friends, the whole, the whole lot. This is where Dharma practice is different from mindfulness. Um mindfulness has become a way of using meditation to reduce stress and it works. It does reduce stress. It's good that it reduces stress. And stress is one of the significant factors that causes mental illness. So if you can reduce stress, you can reduce the possibility of mental illnesses occurring. Very positive thing. but its whole structure is about, the individual can reduce their stress so it doesn't address the self-centered dream aspect of experience and how that blocks us from having an open spacious response to others it's about just about me and my inner experience really now through mindfulness people may um, actually touch a deeper level you know go beyond that verbal level and for some people it it opens them up into Dharma practice or Christian practice or whatever and they, they see beyond just the stress reduction aspect of it. But but all Dharma practice is relational. If you reflect on it, you look at all the different aspects that make up practice, the precepts are, are are relational. But whether you hurt others or don't hurt others, do you know whether you help relationships with people flourish or not. Mm-hmm. Um, teachings like the Four Noble Abodes, you know, love, kindness, you know, loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. They're they're all emotions or states of being that are relational. You know, you you compassionate towards someone, you know, or you're loving towards someone. Um, and even the 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 concept of no self is really just another way of saying that everything is connected. Everything's um, empty of separateness. Everything's part of um, what Chiknatt Han calls interbeing. Right? So that's about that's relational as well. It's all relational. And um, what happens when we do a retreat, in particular, but even when we meditate daily? is that when we start off, our mind is full of stories, thoughts, words, concepts and so on. And as we practise, as we all experience, as we go into like a third day of session, yes, thoughts and words enter your mind, but somehow you've been able to drop below the level of that and there's more of a sense of openness and spaciousness in your mind experience. and you're not so identified with words and thoughts, etc., and, and, and emotions. Uh, they're just energies that come and go. And so if you experience that in your meditation, somewhere along the line, it, it'll click that it's not just you who can experience that openness and spaciousness. And what we realise about ourselves through meditation is, in a sense, that is the true me, right? These words and concepts are not actually the true me, they're kind of a false self. But there's this truer sense of self underneath it. And if we can realise about that ourselves, somewhere it clicks along the line that that's actually the true self of others either as well. The true self of others is something which is open and spacious, but like us, you know, they're, they're caught up in the self-centred dream at times and they're caught up in words and ideas and views about us as we are within. But the, but we rea- but at some level it clicks is that, that that's the true nature of other people as well. So meditation, even though it seems like it's a solitary experience, it actually leads out into something which is very... Very, very relational. You take the Buddha on the altar. You know um, who is that? That sitting Buddha is the is like the main icon of of Buddhism. It's a man sitting alone. You know, Um, it's not like a a, in Christianity you might have the Madonna and Child, and you know where it's relational. But this is just a man sitting alone. So from superficial appearances, it looks like. It's about an, an isolated self up there, you know, not connected to anything. But the whole teaching, as we know, that comes out of that solitary practice of sitting in meditation is the very opposite of isolated and and self-centred, um, but rather open, connected to everything. That's the experience that happens. Now, as a contrast... Um, See, so human beings are, um, I would say, preoccupied with language. And, um, and I think that language and concept is, is, is something that we can use, but in many ways it's become our master right, rather than our servant. And so words take on and language and concepts take on a reality which is beyond really what they need to do. Now they become the, the fingers. We look at the fingers pointing at the moon. We really do. It sounds like a funny saying. It sounds like it would be a silly thing for anyone to do. But we do. We do quite frequently mistake the pointing finger for the moon. We say that's a mountain over there. Uh-huh. There's no mountain. There's only a mountain there when you use the word mountain. It's just a scene there with a whole lot of... It's all connected together. hmm But if we look at a form of life that doesn't use words and concepts but nevertheless communicates, um, then if you look at a a forest of trees and what our new scientific understanding of this is, you see a very good example of cooperation and interbeing and communication that happens in a very cooperative kind of way. There's a number of books by maybe a few authors, but one in particular, Suzanne Simard, who's an ecologist who's researched how trees actually live together in a forest. And what they find out is that they're not actually competing with one another, that they are actually cooperating with with one another to survive together and they help one another. And what they found is that their root system and the fungi in the root system is kind of like the equivalent of our brain. And it's their their method of actually communicating information to one another. And they even have um, neurotransmitters within the fungi like we have in our brain to transmit information over. So if one tree is sick, And the other trees bring more nutrients to it to help it survive. So it's a really good example of how life can cooperate with one another when there's not this sense of self-centeredness but connectedness and words and concepts and so on don't don't get in the way to create that division. Paper I came across recently, when I'm to do with something I'm writing at the moment, um, was a psychological paper. It was a research study, empirical research study, um, and it was about self-centeredness and selflessness and its impact on people's sense of happiness. And lo and behold, it found out that people who are self-centered don't have um, a very ongoing, stable sense of happiness. And the people who are selfless do. Mm -hmm. And if you bring that same uh, uh, view into relationships, um, it would follow like night follows day, that if you have two selfless people in a relationship or people who are working towards that, you're going to have a happier relationship rather than two self-centred people. Or if you have one self-centred person and someone who is selfless, it's not going to work very well either. Mm -hmm. So all of our work we're doing here is relational. It's not just about sitting on on a cushion following your breath. It has implications far beyond that. Something else I read recently around this research I was doing was about social anxiety. And what it was saying was that what they have discovered is that people who are socially anxious tend to see, they have a view of other people, that other people are competitors. and then they feel threatened by other people and that's what leads to the social anxiety, etc. Whereas other people who don't experience very strong social anxiety at all, their their natural way of seeing other people and relating to other people, which is just second nature to them, is that they see other people as affiliates rather than being competitors. And so if you see other people as affiliates, um which means people who will cooperate with you and you can trust and so on, um, then you often you would then you would have a often a um, an easier way of relating to people and getting on with people, and it's a, an interesting thing because if we if we have a view that other people are competitors and they're, and they're going to threaten us in some kind of way then our very stance and attitude creates that behavior in others right? maybe along the lines that they dominate us you know um, or they leave us alone or whatever but we kind of whatever kind of mindset we've got we kind of create it. Mm-hmm. or alternatively if you think that other people you just automatically think that other people are affiliates and until they show you otherwise um, well, that's what you will draw out of other people as well. In other words, if you if your attitude towards relationships and other people is one of openness and spaciousness, then you're more likely to create that in other people. And if it's the opposite, then you're more likely to create that as well. Other people leave you alone or they try to dominate you in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. So it all comes back to, it all comes back to our, our preconceived views, you know, and our ideas and concepts of other people that will impact on our relationships. One way of simply putting it, I don't particularly like going up into abstract words, but another simple way of putting it is that the pathway of practice or the maturing in practice is going from dualistic relationships to non-dualistic relationships, from dualistic thinking to non-dualistic thinking. That's the, that's the pathway through which we move. Um, in, in particular with um, couples, like intimate relationships, um, one very well-known researcher and therapist psychologist, um, John Gottman, whose uh, work I really like, and I think which is his work is it's nothing it's got nothing to do with Buddhism, but um, in, in terms of the words used and so on, or where it comes from, but you read it and it kind of resonates with your Dharma kind of perspective of life, and, and you think it's a it's a good teaching. Um, a good extension of teaching. And he's identified that there are four characteristics or four patterns that will lead to the demise of a relationship. And that is um, criticising, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. And criticising is not the same as bringing up an issue. You can bring up an issue, but criticising is kind of like attacking the, the character of someone. Um, contempt is even worse. It's kind of like a total um, absolute sense of superiority towards someone, you know, and putting them down. So they're all on the kind of aggrandizement attack side. Right? The two on the, on the, on the, um, the defensive side are defensiveness and stonewalling, which is a kind of even more extreme version where people just shut down and shut their partner around and won't even talk to them. Um, you put all of those four together and um, they're really describing self-centred patterns of relating. It's basically what they are. <coughs> That's how you kind of integrate it with Dharma practice. They're, they're, they're the manifestations of self centeredness Mm-hmm. And you know, empirically, they can show you, you act in that way and the likelihood of your relationship being unhappy or ending in divorce is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Do the opposite and it enhances it. And uh, so... ..relationships are a part of practice. Do you know... Um, when I was growing up, doing my Dharma practice, when I first began, this kind of stuff was kind of seen outside of the circle. Like it's that's I think that's nothing to do with this. You know, this is about some inner experience that you have. Mm-hmm. But that's a very limited way of looking at Dharma practice. And I don't think I think it's wrong. Actually, I'll, I'll use that word. I think it's wrong because it does not. Translate over into everyday life, and if you if you reflect on people, that if I reflect on people um, who have been role role models for me um, in my Dharma practice, like in particular my teacher Joko, um, through through her life, she she that's what she was. She was just kind of like an open spacious response to people. She was good at relating to people, she could relate to anyone, talk to anyone. And there was a kind of a a joy in, in being in her presence. And so let's include relationships in our Dharma practice rather than thinking there's something irrelevant on the outside of it. So again Just to highlight it, it's working towards being an open, spacious response to light. And to highlight what that is, its opposite is being um, a closed, narrow reaction to light. (laughs) Doesn't sound too great, does it? (laughs) We all go into that, including me. We go into that at times. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we practice, we move more towards the other and we flower into it. Thank you.